Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. Hey, everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is the Bat Fanatic podcast. Now, as always, I'm going to be joined by my co-hosts, Ben and Evan, and we're going to talk comics today. Uh, I want to apologize if there's any white noise. We've had crazy wildfires going on out here, and I'm trying to just get the smoke out of this room. Uh, As always, I want to shout out our sponsor from day one, Radar Toys. You can go to RadarToys.com, get free shipping in the U.S., and save an additional 10% with the code BATFANPOD. B-A-T-F-A-N-P-O-D. All right, now, we are going to dive in on a classic comic, perfectly timed for the fall season. This is the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale classic, supposedly the inspiration for the new Matt Reeves film. This is The Long Halloween. This is how I took notes this time. I just took pictures of pages. They're like, oh, I had a thought. That's not a bad idea. You're like, fuck writing. I don't want to write. What's all this typing stuff you guys are doing? All right. Here we are, another comic book classic. <laughs> That's how we know Ev is here. Sabotage right off the bat. I'm your host, Sammy Warmhands. <laughs> yo, 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 yo! I'm Ev, the Dark Knight of Rap. Yeah, do your impressions. Sammy Warmhands. Yo, I'm Sammy Warmhands. You, know you know why I say that, right? The Dark Knight of Rap shit. No, I don't. On the first track of our first album that's how i introduce myself as the dark knight of rap what are you talking about on the arrival when we were rapping over danny elfman samples i called myself the, the dark knight of rap right then that magicians group they used to be a part yeah. of you know what's funny is yo i was talking to a bat force grump the other day and uh we were he posted some like awesome bat force like ghetto blaster that he had nice. he had designed like an old old graphic and i was like yo i love that shit like you know my first rap video we had you know the big ass boombox like that you know and um you know we talk about hip-hop sometimes and i sent him a track and he's like oh this is you I'm like yeah that's pretty cool so actually evan my co-host uh you know we used to be in a group together and then i was like wait a second ben used to be in that group too <laughs> i didn't realize <laughs> we were all in the same band that never occurred to me yeah, I listened to that album the other day, the live one. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's bad, but it was fun. It's vulgar. Yeah. Very vulgar. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, it's funny because those first two is just like saying the most offensive shit I could think of. And um, so, yeah, the live one, especially because it's all the oldest songs. But it was a good time. It was a really fun show and, and a, a fun time when, like, I had no aspirations and nothing mattered. So it was kind of yeah. just like fuck it all around you know uh, there's a freedom in that you can talk more about your shit when you don't care <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so ben's in the house hey oh yeah hey hey hi, hi. swear to me yeah ev hey what's up there uh butternuts buttercup buttercup cup what's your favorite part of jamaica down by the beach way down by the beach yeah from jamaica all right we got the long halloween 1996 written by jeff loeb no relation to commissioner penciled and inked 
by Tim Sale, colored by Gregory Wright, lettered by Richard Starkings again, and Comic Craft. Man. How does one get a gig lettering comic books? I had a thought reading this. I had a single thought the entire time. <laughs> painful. It's going to be a short episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to stretch this thought out. <laughs> um, it's not as long. It's one uh, long thought. It was, it was about the lettering in this. And like, I had the thought that being a letterer in comics is like being the bass player. Oh, yeah. Like some letterers, some letterers do really flashy stuff. And they're like, that's their thing. And they do it. But most of them all kind of do, the professional ones at least, the same thing. You play and to the, the song. Kind of, what? You play to the song. You play to the song, and you mm. your work only really gets noticed when you fuck up. Yeah. But your your work has to be good, or else it's going to be distracting and take people out of it. And just like all those subtle things of, I don't know how much of this is in the script of like what's italics, the the overall layout of it, and then the little things when they the choice of uh, font in different inner monologues and script mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It's just, I mean, he did a really excellent job and how important that is. I'm also curious about, in the past, it would make sense to me if the person who lettered the comics were a person with really good handwriting, and that's why you chose them. Yeah. That, you yeah. know? Because if everything was getting done by hand, because I've totally seen this stuff. I mean, there's a tool that's made for comic book lettering, and not that you... The tool doesn't help you letter. The tool helps you line up the lines to mm. letter within the lines and fit in the bubbles. That means it was more of a manual process. So it would make sense to be like, oh, Ben has drafting level capital letters. So Ben is the letterer. Here's the straightest now, lines. Yeah. And so now if it's digital, what does their role look like and how is that created? And then also... Are the people lettering now just people who used to do it manually and now they do it digitally because... That's where the technology... Yeah, because that's where the technology went? Or how would you come to be like a new entry-level letterer in this day and age? Because everything is... Like, what's your merit and what do you get picked for? I think other than the artists who letter their own work, yeah. I think, again, like the analogy of a bass player works really well because if you think about the way music used to be made more like with studio guys where it's like three guys playing mm-hmm. bass on all the tracks because they were good. It wasn't a lead thing. So it was more about, can you play to the song? Are you reliable? Are you consistent? And like, they're just going to get all the gigs. So that's what I think with letterers is like, once you're the letterer, you're the guy or you're the girl that yeah. they call for it's every gig. It's the comic book wrecking yeah. crew. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, you and don't get the recognition, to... but you get the money because you do the job well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing too is that school is like while they may be getting paid a lesser amount, the amount of effort is also less. And therefore, that's why you might see Richard Starking's name on so many titles, because while like one dude could only draw a month's worth of comics at a time, the letterer might do like, you know, half a dozen titles and they earn checks from all of them. Lesser checks, but more checks. That's kind of great, actually. You could get to collaborate with all different types of people because yours is a likely a shorter process so you yeah. you have more time to dive in and and take you know like if you did good on these lesser titles you know you don't have to be a major driving force in having creative control and whatever over something that a lot of people are counting on so they uh-huh. go oh you know you did great on this little 
project that you had. Let's throw him the big ones and see how he does. Oh, yeah, he's great yeah. on that. You know, and then all of a sudden you just do those now. And now you could cover yeah. it all. Yeah, now you only get picked for like the Eisner winners. And, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you get to have that statue too. Yeah, yeah, totally. What, uh, do either of you know what Comic Craft's role is in the lettering? I'm no. not like Comic Craft is a company. Like it's just a lettering company. But I got to think they do something separate from what he does or something in addition to what he does. Uh, I mean, it's a 13-issue series, so it could have just been alternating. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Oh, are they both credited? Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, I, I read it as like an I alias. I assumed that it was sort of like a, like an agent for letterers. Co-billing with it, though, if that were the case. No, and I didn't realize that, that's, that they were both on there. So really, that's the only thing, that's the one thought I had about this book. I mean, the rest of it is garbage. <laughs> you but the take off. <laughs> yeah. is really good. All right, well, I'll cut in the theme song and we'll call it a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the Dark Knight of Rap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Dark Knight of Rap. Ben Ponce. <laughs> Evan Toasty Palms. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I can't even remember which one it was now oh god it was one episode oh what the fuck was it I trolled you guys on the intro of one of these I don't think you ever troll us I don't know what you're talking about you can't oh. fool me I'm always yeah, yeah, I know well, that's Ev's know job I'm incapable of being fooled I don't remember what it was but I <laughs> I won't say Laugh anything to yourself. else you're making it up it's not a thing <laughs> oh you'll see you'll see uh, Yes, we will. All right, so the story opens, and several things are happening all at once, right? Major Godfather vibes. The wedding, back room conversation, Bruce. I mean, sort of inexplicably, like, why are you in this situation <laughs> a little bit? You get this awesome reveal of Falcone with the scratches Falcone. on his face. I know it should be an I, but they all say Falcone. Uh, I don't like the Begins version. I don't know. Okay. It's Shoemaker, you dicks. Shoemaker. <laughs> Wait, is that only in the Begins movie? I thought they say it in other things, like in Gotham and just other things. No, I'm pretty sure it was Falcone and everything else. I don't know. Well, I'll, yeah. I Either mean, way, I like Falcone more. it's Sorry, a, it's a yeah, printed how, how word. How is Falcone Maroney going to be the same when they don't end the same? <laughs> anyway. Fucking... Anyways. Did you, were you trying to make a point about something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Bruce is in the house, right? Falcone is always in the shadows. And when we finally get the full reveal of his face, we see that epic scar from Catwoman in year one. And so, again, they're telling you so much just in the first couple of pages here of the, first of all, the tone and what kind of story we're walking into. Um, second, that it's a continuation of year one, right? Not only with these characters, but directly the events too, you know? Mm -hmm. Then you have this great line where Alberto is kind of the Fredo, you know? He's kind of the odd one out, right? And you have this great line in the beginning of like, if anything ever happens to me, Alberto, you don't have to look any further than your Aunt Carla, you know? And so from the very beginning, we're already pointing fingers before there's even a crime, right? They're planting seeds. And through this whole thing, we have so many misdirects and red herrings and, and suspicions, and it's just great. The setup is just every bit as good as the payoff, you know? I know that it ties into the keep your enemies closer 
thing. But the thought that that you're so surrounded by all these just shady shysters all the time and you know like that's your family but you can't trust any of them that just seems like such a crazy lifestyle yeah your sister might kill you yeah no no i don't i actually don't trust any of them soprano's life yeah man it's crazy hey i love the (laughs) i love the panels where you get his son it's just like glasses and his nose yeah, nose and unibrow. <laughs> Solid unibrow on this there, guy. There's so much great use of light. You know, early in here, we get Gordon in his office, too. You know, it's just like a little desk lamp on, and the the glasses are reflected, and you're getting so many just like everything is shadow or a solid color. You're m- missing a lot of details, and I think... You know, one of the things I love about Tim Sale is just his use of shadows. You know, I think that his Batman, when you really look at his face, is odd. Um, But so much of the time, he is shadowed and super dramatic. And just everything about this book, everyone's in the shadows. I mean, it starts out the back room, shadowy meeting. We introduce Gordon again, shadowy office. You know, Batman in shadows. Catwoman at the safe in shadows. You know, we get this awesome splash page of Batman and Catwoman, you know, throwing down at Falcone's safe right there. I mean, just like, I just can't say enough. I mean, there's so many great things mood-wise right out the gate. That shadow work combined with those super solid contrasting colors. I mean, the colors make this book. Yeah. Um, and there's so many things that you could say make this book, but the colors are amazing. It's just so, like, drastic. That coloring style is called flats. And that's honestly how I would prefer to color. That's how I color stuff with markers, but that's also how I want to stuff, color stuff digitally in the future. But flats are either your entire style and that's just what you do, or flats are the first layer of color when you're building something digitally. Yeah. So, like, the most foreground layer would be, like, highlights or, Mm -hmm. say, Noel and snowflakes. That's the closest layer to you. Flats would be the furthest layer from you. That's the very base level color, but some colorists and some styles, that's all there is. Even if you get like two color tones, it's still just a flat on top of another flat, really. And what I love about this color wise is, I mean, you mentioned this where it's, (laughs) you know, the fucking (laughs) glasses and the unibrow, right? But like these panels, but these panels are all full color, full detail, like normal, right? But if you Mm -hmm. go to some of these, the entire page is washed in these deep blues and purples and you know everything would be so consistent across your spread that i mean that's one of the things that really adds to the the whole shadowy backroom vibe of this whole thing you know i mean it has a good palette yeah there's there's even one shot i'm trying to think of whose it was if it was alberto or gordon somebody who's wearing glasses 
and where the light catches them in a way that you can see through one lens to their eyeball and the other one catches a solid color reflection. I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. such cool choices in here that you just don't see anywhere else. And some of those things too, uh, whether it's shadow or even that panel that you were just showing with dude's unibrow, like that's silly, but it's also more artistic. It's like the things that you choose not to draw to me. Yeah, what's because, important? Yes. Yeah, because, you're, because your inclination would be probably to fill up every panel and every page just to the brim, whereas shadow is all about, or blacks are all about the unseen things and the undrawn things, or even in a panel like that where, <laughs> you know, this guy's eyebrows, that's wild, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's all you choose to, and even that portion, that that bottom panel isn't even a panel. It doesn't have a border, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just cool choices, and that's what makes this art form more like an art form to me versus just the adult version of newspaper, comic books, or something. Well, yeah, and it's it not really lacking in realism to have. All that stuff either. I think that's one of the cooler things about this collaboration is that, you know, Tim's got really detailed facial features and backgrounds and stuff when it counts. And then also is willing to use a ton of negative space when it doesn't matter as much as the tone. Yeah, or just a big imposing shot of Batman or something like. You don't need a ton of detail because if you're there, you just see Batman. Yeah. He, he is what dominates your thoughts mm-hmm. and your vision, and he's terrifying. You know, you yeah, could just say that on its own outside of the context of this show, and that's true. Batman, he is what dominates your thoughts and your... <laughs> yeah, I guess I, yeah, yeah. I wake I can't up stop two in the morning in a cold sweat, and it's just Batman. <laughs> yeah. I go to work, and it's just Batman. I hang out with you, fucks, and it's just Batman. <laughs> well, and uh, in some ways, it could be sort of utilitarian, like learning what you do and don't need to draw because drawing is effort and not drawing is not effort so that makes your work go more quickly it's like knowing how to cut corners while not compromising quality that's efficiency to me versus being sloppy you know you gotta like if you work a production job you just have to figure out how to be as fast and efficient as possible so you got this image of batman Will the background, will he lose prominence, you know? Will he not be the standout thing if the background is a portion of it, you know? And if so, then skip it. I'm just not even going to draw the background. I'll save some effort. The important thing is to do the treads on his boots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which you really you really need to focus yeah, on the that, important details. That hadn't happened yet. He, like, how does he have traction? If you don't see it, how do you know? Yeah, if anything makes me feel like this dude's work is amateur, is that it, uh, you know, lacks in uh, boot treads. Where are the plates on the armor, you know? How does the grappling, I can't see the machinery of the grapple gun, so. Yeah, like, uh, how, how is this the book that inspired Chris Nolan, if it doesn't answer those hard questions? Probably didn't inspire him, I don't even think he read it. You know, Ev, I like that you always have an interest in the stuff in the I back like, of the book. I like you. Oh, wow. <laughs> so heartwarming. But you always point out, like, when they show, like, the cover of an issue and then a sketch cover, or, like, the bonus features at the end where you see the works in progress. I forget where it is, but if you go online, 
there's a, a site. It might be linked on Tim Sales' Instagram. I forget, but where he sells his original artwork, there there are for sale original unused pencils from this of like panels that were cut for length and stuff and you can actually see some of the original stuff that that didn't make it it's pretty cool that's very cool um what there's so many full page shots in this that would just make great posters dude i keep thinking that over and over and over again it's like we got 13 issues and a few pages into each one you have this massive fucking splash page that's phenomenal and then on top of that Every single issue opens with this single panel. Awesome full single panel, usually like a shadowy portrait of a character that kicks yeah. off the next leg of the story, man. Like I like that that's a reoccurring thing. Yeah. His his stuff is like it's like gothic pop art or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's not that it's it's the most detailed stuff ever. It's just it's very um, not graphic like disgusting graphic but it's very graphic like eye-catching and stylized yeah i love his gordon i think the as far as people who just look look perfect <laughs> in the uh you know in, in a fully lit scene i think his gordon design is spot on brand <laughs> I, I don't know uh a lot of mustache i'd have yeah. to find them but there was a couple parts where i felt like the colorist was slipping sort of a weird thing to like attempt to describe but when I draw stuff I feel very compelled to draw almost all of it which is the ex opposite of what we're talking about right now like yeah. choosing what's important and what you want to make stuff prominent and you'll see guys who don't really fully draw hair or draw like the connections of the hair to the forehead and stuff what and you liked Batgirl's big hairnet so much on the Sub Zero episode. No, but that's but that's true. <laughs> but the, but everything about Bruce Timm's style is like having solid defining boundaries true. and lines. So I'll have to find an example. But there's there's some artists where they're like this is a swirling shape that emanates from your forehead, and that's your you you don't have like a hairline. You just have these shapes. And in a couple of the spots, there's the colorist. Um, he doesn't color as much. It's Gordon specifically. He doesn't color everything that I would have colored, and it makes Gordon <laughs> look like he has a mullet. <laughs> I'll have to find a couple of them. It's funny. He just, you know, you put your colors wherever you want to, and it's just not where I would have put all the colors, so it looks very slender in the back. It's just important that we really say that. Gregory Wright, colorist, best known for creating the Gordon mullet. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, thing. Trademark Gordon mullet. <laughs> He took that character to the next level. Um, one thing that this is, I always have the, the mini built-in gripe of comic books to cartoons is my favorite because drawn thing to drawn thing, and I always have a problem with drawn things going to live action. That's just like inherent. And a style like this, begs to be the most like if it was live action it would have to be like the hardest lit thing you know like <laughs> it, it, it high contrast half, yeah half shadow all the time well and, like sin city is what exactly yes. like sin city yes. yeah and that was that was also though my problem with the hellboy movies 
like as much as I wanted to like him, my favorite thing about Hellboy was the art. And so what I needed was a live action movie that was half shadows. And that is what Sin City is. Sin City is the best version of this is what the comic looks like. This is what the movie looks like. Yeah. And it's still a little weird. Like, I, um, oh, I is, love it. It is, but it's, that's like the best transfer um, that, I, that I've seen. And that's, if this was to be a movie, that's what I would need to see also is something that was, Every single shot was like half darkness, half vibrant. And I think the disconnect there is that with Sin City, the film, they're not trying to make a movie. They're trying to remake a comic. And I think Uh, that in most cases, 99% of the time, you know, they're trying to make a film and they've found some inspiration from other sources but you know they're trying to make a film yeah they're fully embracing live action and they're not leaning so hard on just visual style well and what you were saying about that hardly happens anyways and what you were saying about the last film when we just talked about begins you know you were like i haven't watched this in forever and it was really cool to get a lot of it fresh that's how i felt about this book is because you know i've long I've long considered it one of my favorites, um, but it's been years since I actually picked it up again because it's kind of a longer one. <laughs> Motherfucker, it's like I, I can totally see why like this being one of the first ones that I got around that time when Nolan started up again. I'm like, yeah, if you read this, you're going to want to buy a lot more <laughs> after yeah. like, oh yeah. my God, it's at such a high bar. Like, uh, something this long to have you that sucked in the whole way. I mean, I read it in one sitting. I don't know about you guys. I split it up over two nights this time. Normally I would read it all at once, but I just, I was reading it very late. So I was like, I wanted to kind of consume it in chunks. Yeah. I was going to chip away at it. Uh, I started last weekend and I was like, yeah, you know, I've been getting off earlier from work. Well, I'll give it a start now and work on it through the week. And I was just like, I can't, Sorry. Like, yeah, I'll be late. Yeah. We'll do dinner later. I got to finish this motherfucker. Like, wow. One of my favorite things about it is both how it, it kind of, as I talked about in previous episodes, like, I think Batman at its core is Batman versus crime and, like, organized crime. It's not him versus villains or super villains or yeah. anything like that. And so this has that, yeah, yeah, the, the crime, the corruption, just what happens when you bring a bunch of people together in a place. And so there's that element with the mob and uh, Falcone. But then, how, like, how many Batman villains are in this? Like six, seven. I there mean, so many most of them. Ones like Calendar Man. Most of them. And Solomon Grundy. Is Solomon Grundy. Yeah, just weird. Not necessarily deep cuts because they're all like well known. But I mean, just a lot of Batman villains. So to have all that in there too, and then on top of that, as I've said before, also I'm not much of a Joker guy. I like the villain and a lot of the best Batman stories are Joker stories, but he's not my favorite. But even more than like Killing Joke is the Joker story. Reading this again reminded me how much this is the Two Face story. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like it just really shows you how interesting and how good of a Batman character Harvey Dent is, and having to spread out over this bigger Batman story. Well, I think two points that you touched on there. I, first of all, I love that Gordon and Dent are the heart of this story because, again, that's taking where they left off with Year One. That was more of a Gordon story than a Batman story, really. Uh-huh. You know, and so they're diving more into the mob side of it 
and by diving into the crime side of it, you need a Harvey character. You know, what's going to happen if Gordon gets them, right? Who is he working with? How does this logistically work that you're going to take down the mob, you know? So I love that they dive further into that. But the other thing that you touched on is the fact that they use all these villains. And, you know, we've talked about Nightfall kind of being the quintessential way to do that and give each one of them the full weight that they deserve and the consequence of that person appearing actually being danger. But we've also seen other times like Batman vs. Turtles where it's just like, well, you're going to have all these motherfuckers and just fast forward through it? Like, that doesn't work, you know? And so, so a lot of times we've seen that going wrong and the fact that they had the freedom to work over such a long period of time really lets each one of these play out like when we're using poison ivy we're using poison ivy yeah her story even though she's like she gets one issue for the most part her story is really interesting and plays to the strengths of that character with the, all the weird plant shit yeah like it doesn't come off like well we just talked about scarecrow and batman begins and then you look at Scarecrow in the Dark Knight, and that's the exact example of that kind of being bad. Where he's like, he was a big threat, and now he's just like the asshole who gets beat in the first ten minutes. Yeah, and she is not that. None of them are that. I think that Calendar Man and Riddler get the least, but Calendar Man is slightly more tied to like pushing the story forward, just with his uh, with his like data and his dates, and kind of misleading like. Is, is this guy tied to it because of his M.O.? He's the Hannibal Lecter of this story. That's what I was going to say, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, 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 for sure. He gets better treatment than the Riddler. And that's okay because this Riddler is kind of like a, the goofy Riddler. He versus, doesn't really do anything. Yeah, other versions of the Riddler are like dangerous and menacing. And this mm. one is just kind of silly. Yeah, he's, like, he's, like, he's actually like there to answer questions because a person doesn't know the answer. Like, this guy is good at figuring out riddles. Yeah. Uh, let's ask him some stuff. Well, I kind of like that because, you know, it reminds me of... Quit fucking with shit. He's putting together a bookshelf. Uh, yeah. I'm making him Sounds like, Well, yeah, but like me or Ben would be talking to something and I just hear this like... I'm like, I can't use that later. Um... Then pause for two seconds. Do it. <laughs> yeah, get it done. This is Ice Cubes. Hold on, I just really have to play my steel drums for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy shit, I'm feeling a vibe right now. You guys catch this rhythm with me really quick. But don't cut it, though. Use it. Oh, not that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> so long. It's the longest 12 seconds of my life. That's what she said. I'm ready again, guys. Sorry, I'm so loud. Oh, sorry, I passed out for a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, it, it reminded me of after 9-11, George Carlin just did this special that he had to rewrite. Speaking of... I love 9-11. It's my favorite. What are you talking about? Um, Keep going. You 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 come about. to my annual nine eleven masquerade party? Yeah. What are you talking about? Where? Uh, yeah, George Carlin talks about when the government said uh, that they wanted everyone's input, you know, on like 
ways to fight terrorism, whatever. He's like, well, that'll give you an idea of how much shit they have on the shelf. And, you know, this is one of those stories where, like, they can't fucking figure it out and it keeps getting worse and worse and they're at the mercy like calendar man is there to remind you of like well you better have it figured out by february because i count one two three four you know like all these dates that are coming up like yeah you are fucked and so i love that they're kind of pulling in all these other characters like we've seen him do it with joker before and stuff where where they think that he knows something or that he has something to do with it but like you know they're they're using more characters this way as they try to whittle it down through the list of potential culprits and i i just i love that that's the way these characters are being used and not as some like surprise extra threat you know for a second they're just kind of independent contractors doing a job here and there (laughs) and joker's just like doesn't like that somebody's stealing the limelight for a little bit well, yeah, I like that about him. I mean, that's sort of like the um, the episode of the animated series where he sees that someone made a casino with his likeness. And so he busts out to fuck up the casino, right? But the guy did it on purpose. He, like, did this and then took out this huge insurance policy on it. You know, uh. knowing that jealous ass joker would come out and fuck shit up you know um because like kind of that's he wants to be the main rival you know he wants to be the front page villain i kind of love that yeah he's a good wild card in this story arkham just seems to have the worst security and infrastructure of just any place with it seems like these guys just pretty much walk out the door you can just jump the turnstile and get out yeah, they, they don't. I'm not even sure why they're there in the first place. They, they pretty much <laughs> leave whenever they want to, it seems like. More people should go to Blackgate. I think that's the lesson there. Uh, Arkham's where they're criminally insane. Yeah, but. Edge Lords! Yeah! <laughs> Fucking hardcore! Yeah! I really like the, the design of the Joker in this because I was trying to place what he reminds me of, and I think it might be the Beetlejuice cartoon. Oh. Like oh, has, with, um, the te- with the teeth. Yeah, yeah, a million teeth yeah, yeah, and all weird yeah. angles. Yeah. I, I, I thought that he looks like um, a humpback whale doesn't have... They don't, they don't have teeth. <laughs> they have, they have baleen, yeah. And yeah. His, his mouth looks like baleen, which is fucking disgusting, by the way. That's great. I, I, I love nature, but that is gross. I really don't love the teeth sometimes but i also love the design in other shots it's i, I kind of go back and forth on it you know I, I like the um what i like is the like the profile and the jack skellington frame yeah but i do not i do not like some of it the face shots and what i want is a more a more uniform version of those same teeth like they can all be six inches tall and that's totally fine <laughs> and they can all be a little fucked up but not that ununiform there has to be some some degree of symmetry or something i think what gets me is that so much of it is sort of based in reality and then his is just like way exaggerated uh, yeah yeah you actually have the worst facial skeletal structure of any person ever his dentist no, no must make a so fortune tormented. your teeth are so ugly <laughs> <laughs> he's just like a byproduct of bullying that's his 
that's his origin story. So he is he Arthur Fleck. Wild, he has wild fashion sense and people <laughs> mocked his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it drove him to, to murder. Is that also what drove him to go to pilot school so that he could learn how to fly planes? Amongst <laughs> all the many other things he could do? No, that's actually just a hobby. No. Was there a special day where he was taking flight lessons where they were like, all right, now if anyone jumps on the roof, this is how to evade <laughs> capture. Oh, and also the asylum was like, yeah, buddy, you get a Wednesday pass because it's flight school day. <laughs> <laughs> it's about rehabilitation. As long as you're back by 6 o'clock. <laughs> so we talk about the different ways that Bruce is presented to the world. I think this is a really interesting one where we actually get like a passionate objection on a moral level when he's on the board of the bank. They're talking about using this money from Falcone Imports, you know, and he like kind of storms out. I really like this whole subplot where he then goes as Batman to the board president you know, and scares him into backing out so he can kind of, I mean, it's fucked up, actually, that he does mm. this to put, uses violent intimidation to put himself in power in his business, I'm not down with yeah. killing people. you know, but it's pretty crazy. And, and the fact that that guy gets killed by the mob after stepping down and, and essentially foiling their plans. I mean, <laughs> I don't kill people. I just put them in situations where but, other people kill But them. I don't have to save you. I'm only here to manipulate corporation <laughs> stock holdings. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's interesting because we normally don't get that sort of that animated Bruce, for lack of a better word. You know, that really passionate. Yeah, he can be maybe snide, but he's never like that. Like, as you say, animated. Yeah. I think that it's interesting and I appreciate that part as like just a subplot, like with the stuff with the company and then with Poison Ivy and like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I just, I like, I do like the back and forth and I like that other aspect to it. That's like the Rick James, like, no, I don't remember grinding my feet on his couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like three, two, one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. grinding my feet in his couch. <laughs> just, it just needs an edit. <laughs> mm, blouses. Uh, no, I like that, that and that portrayal of Bruce Wayne in this because this is that like where he, over the course of this story and not catching Holiday, he's becoming more and more agitated. Yeah, and then combined with like his increasing suspicion of Harvey, who is someone who like he looked to. Because he even talks about in this where, like, and it's hilarious when both you know how this story ends and you know that he's Batman. When he's talking about, like, oh, maybe I'm getting close to, like, fixing the city. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then Harvey can take over. I was like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. This isn't going well. And you're, you're not doing great. You're about two chapters away from being totally wrong, bro. Yeah, things will get much worse. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much of that, and too, because his relationship with Falcone, Falcone, like, trying to buddy up with him and be like, you know, your father was a friend of mine and all that kind of stuff. He, this is not the Kevin Conroy, jokey, lassie Bruce Wayne. No, mm. not at all. But he's still <laughs> like some Selena Kyle. That's, that's still his name. Yeah. Don't we all? Yep. I like that she is like pretty buff in this. I think that that's cool. Yeah. She's pretty ripped. The both of them, I really appreciate this artwork. I'm into it. I mean, because all the stuff they do, 
Like, you can be a fighter and have, like, a pudgy body. Hey, hey, go back. I know that he's, like, flexing on that. He's, like, really using his bod to tear those bars. But that right there, Sam, is almost the Lee Field Captain America. Oh, yeah. That's that's almost the Lee Field Captain America. His, his body is fully flexed in that. But, yes, that is. Yeah. But so, yeah, to, so to be a fighter or even to be good and athletic, you, you wouldn't necessarily have a super ripped body. But to do what these people do with Catwoman, with Catman, with Cat, Catman. Catwoman yeah, and what Batman Catman does, do, they would be like truly Olympic level athletes. They would be completely shredded and buff. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's that, that, that comes across well. Well, for sure. And two things Catwoman seems to have way less. Even Batman has like all the tech. But he also has a good amount of tech just devoted to, like, traversing the city, like, by hand, kind of. She seems to, like, not have that. So how is she getting around? She must be, like, incredibly good at just climbing shit. Yeah, acrobatics and gymnastics. Which makes sense also because um, people who rock climb have, like, incredibly lean bodies. Like, their their muscles are, are capable of supporting their entire bodies, you know? So, so her being that like cut up and kind of lumpy looking totally makes sense. Well, and think also about, I mean, the way that she continues to evade him. She loves mm-hmm. to just leave him in her dust. Which is a thing I think it's not, it's not the fault of this story. It's more a fault of year one. It's not justified well. Cause in like Frank Miller's year one, Catwoman is like a prostitute who knows a lot of karate. And then in this, she is like, the Catwoman that I know and I like who's like yeah. on some levels an equal to Batman she can defend herself she can get around the city the rooftops and buildings and stuff like that well, and her backstory in year one doesn't really justify that but given the length of her hair quite a bit of time has passed in between these <laughs> yeah not that much <laughs> no I mean she had no. a buzz cut so we're talking sure. some. What, what is that? Like three years. Talking years. some years. I mean, she's got shoulder length hair. I think in this one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good long while. Yeah, hey, I guess five years of climbing buildings <laughs> and more karate. And that'll do it to you. Yeah. She's evolved. I like that first shot of her at the party because she looks like a Patrick Nigel or Nigel. You know that guy who did all like the '80s art where it's like they all all the skin is bright white and all the hair is black and like neon colors. Oh, yeah, I do, actually. She, she kind of looks like that when she has, like, her hand on her hip. Mm-hmm. It's, like, high contrast. And, yeah, she's got, yeah. Her, like, she's got her wrist bangles looking like kind of a yeah. gypsy or something. Yeah. I just really like the way that she's used in this story. You know, she's kind mm-hmm. of a constant figure, but always an outsider. Mm-hmm. Still always playing she, both sides. Her role do, in general is like that is cool. Do we ever really get an answer? Because he's always asking her, like, why are you always here? Well, no, by, by the time you get to the end, then she's, like, chilling with all the other bad guys. But it's I don't think it's, like, a super defined. But there's even more times after that where he meets, like, anytime he's doing something with Falcon or meeting him, he's always like, why are you always here? Yeah, well, she so, never gives him a straight answer. I, wonder I don't if, think we get one. I wonder if that comes out in Dark Victory, because you're, you're right. I don't actually remember why she was always there. I like it. I think it works with her character. It works with the overall like mystery of the story but doesn't she have kind of a uh, like I'm here because you're here thing going on I think she says that yeah yeah and she doesn't like Falcone and nobody wants to like have to think about that why am I here <laughs> <laughs> I was asking you a question not me a question <laughs> <laughs> 
I like that she does a couple of things that serve just moving the plot forward too. I mean, she is the one who does crack the safe before him, you know, information that's used to, oh, that great scene where they find the, the laundered money warehouse, right? Like the dark night where it's piled to the ceiling, you know, and they burn it down. You know, I mean, that is straight from her digging into the safe and finding it. You know, she gave that to Batman. She didn't have to do that. So I, I don't know. I, I think that that was really cool. They're showing that not only is she, you know, have some grudge against him, Falcone, I mean, but the fact that she's smart enough to get there first and know who to give it to to use it against them, you know? Yeah, to cause the most damage. Exactly. Like, oh, I scratched your face. I could steal shit from you. I could do whatever. But, like, if I just let the right people know where your shit is hiding. Yeah, she would just take little bits of the money because she's so greedy. Yeah. She would want to destroy it all. Yeah, and something about not actually doing all the dirty work yourself. True. She, she seems, like, very manipulative to be yeah. like, well, I'll do the thing and I'll get in the safe because that's fairly risk-free because I'm, I'm smooth like that. I'll pass this to the other person and they'll do the stuff that I actually want them to do. Pass know, this and, along to the rage-filled void monkey who jumps around. Yeah. Do we think that she didn't steal anything since she knew where the warehouse was? Do you think? Oh, she, yeah. Maybe she stole a pile of money, too. I don't know. <laughs> you yeah, would have to, right? Jack, who knows? I think She's you would have to. So much of what I like about the Batman cat woman, I said it right. I thought about it and I said it right. <laughs> Good job, man. <laughs> the relationship is, again, that like the special treatment he gives her, both because he just like is really attracted to her, obviously because of she's like gorgeous, but of her ability, her skill, that she can elude him, that she can you know handle him in a fight. And he's a messed up guy, and so he likes that. Yeah. But I like a woman like, who can take a punch. <laughs> yeah, and give a punch. The great scene in one of their later meetings where he's like caught her by the arm. It's like, again, why do you keep showing up? Why are you here? And her response is just like, you're hurting me. Yeah. And then uh, the next panel is him just letting go of her hand. Oops. Like, that's like Mad Hatter. He's like, he's got his arm around his back and like he's about to break his, his neck. <laughs> like, he's not letting go of him or any of those people. So Dent's house is blown up after this. He takes that money, burns it up. So they put out a hit on him. This is where we get the cool detective shit, right? Batman traces the serial numbers on the nails to the hardware store that sold them and goes down the rabbit hole to find out this guy, Mickey Sullivan, being the one who planted the bomb. I mean, that's some fucking Batman shit right there. Yeah. After I read that, I was like, do nails... Have serial numbers? Because, like, I've been doing carpentry stuff for a long time, and it would be very odd of me to, like, have not realized it. Rub your chest. Your arms will take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, well, uh, yeah, whatever they say. Just say it. That's like, yeah. Either way. I'm not sure that that's a thing. I had that same thought in my head, and I just thought, like, well, maybe he's just bluffing. Maybe it's true. Then we have, again, another thing that they use in a different way in The Dark Knight where, you know, Mickey is kind of rehearsing. He's doing like a dress rehearsal for the confessions, you know, with his cellmates. He's like, all right, yeah, but 
You did what? Oh, I did the this. I was a getaway driver. Oh, I did the, you know, whatever. And it going through, and then you realize that it was actually Dent. He had let them believe that he was dead and faked this identity undercover. And that's sort of what happens with Gordon. We see him take the bullet for the mayor, and then we see him reveal himself pulling off the police helmet, the SWAT helmet or whatever later, that he had been the one driving that fucking truck the whole time with Dent in the back of it, you know? So it's like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, much like the year one thing we talked about in Begins with the sonic bat boot, you know? They take that whole scene with Brandon and the SWAT team or whatever, and they rewrite it from the ground up, but it's still taking elements and kind of flipping it and, and, and tipping your hat a little bit to the source. I like that. Yeah. So much of that were like the, the cash scene, really the whole theme of this book and the creation of Harvey Dent, the idea that maybe some of what Batman is, is bad for the city because it brings out the worst in all these other people. Yeah. And that's, that is the dark Knight. I mean, that's when, when people talk about that movie, being inspired by this i mean like that's the whole meat of that movie is this book yeah. even though the story is extremely different although you have the, the same beats of Maroni or you know Maroni causing the acid or the the thing that disfigures two-face and him being that but all the other elements are totally different um, well yeah the characters and kind of the intent you know i mean we just talked about dent's house gets blown up and he doesn't get the acid in the courtroom uh he gets something more closely resembling the first attack on him you yeah. Know? There was a lot of little nods like that too. Even um, the scarecrow gassing Batman and stuff. Uh, there was a lot of little things that it, I felt like. And what's kind of cool is too is that that rather because Nolan did like a trilogy rather than finding all of those things in a single movie because they only did one. You'll find random things dispersed among th- three movies, which is cool because you might have like some that occurred here and some that occurred there. With Harvey and this, I like a lot. There are a ton of both wordplay double entendres. I'm yeah. saying like, I don't want to be two people. One's enough. And uh, uh, you know, if, if it was a different two people here, you know, they might take this money. Tons of those, and there's even a couple really good visual ones when they're talking to the three of them: Gordon, Harvey, and Batman are on the roof talking, where half of his face will be in shadow. Yes. Or, you're only seeing him in full profile and you're seeing them head on. There's lots of nice little foreshadowing stuff that, I mean, we all know he's Two-Face, so it's not a secret, Mm. but it's nice leading into that and there's so many of them. It's like the Earth One stuff, but way more of it. Yeah, yeah. I liked to, you know, this whole time there's this kind of driving unknown, but also this like suspicion of Harvey and then the calendar man's continuous talk about some he, she stuff. Yeah, and, you know, which leads you to think that maybe it's like Falcone Carla. and his daughter or something, and like I don't get what's going on, or at the very least, some sort of or Gilda. Yeah, some sort of person. I mean, honestly, I had never suspected his wife. That uh, shit kind of drove me crazy. Like, honestly, I, I I feel like saying it once, sure, but like the fucking nonstop dual pronouns the whole time. I'm like, can you fucking just talk like a person would talk? That'd be great. No, because they really like Sounds of the Lambs. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, bro, they're mental. They cannot. 
So we already mentioned that Joker breaks out trying to figure out who is Holiday. We see him threaten Maroney, threatening Dent, and even Falcone himself, thinking that he's in on it. Shortly after this, we see, yeah, this great scene that Ben's showing us right now. We get Gordon and Dent on the rooftop with Batman, um, and he disappears, and you get Dent's disbelief and Gordon giving the, yeah, he does that, which we saw in the Dark Knight as well. Classic. And then Ben's favorite part of the movie where the Batmobile has a face. Yes. <laughs> yes. I knew you'd be into this story just because of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, this guy's nuts. He puts bats on everything. His cars need a face. I got a logo on the inside of my cave. I got a face on the front of my car. Just for me as I fly yeah. my back. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like me. Like, you know, I wear a lot of T-shirts with stuff printed on them, but what yeah. you guys don't know is I have other stuff printed on the inside that only I can see. Oh, uh, as you're pulling it over your head. Exactly. It's your, your face. Yeah. You are special. <laughs> Today's your day. They're affirmations. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. Alberto gets killed off on the balcony, right? So you've kind of been suspicious of him at this point, but not like, oh yeah, I think he did it. Just sort of like, what is this guy's deal? And so he's gone, and Carla, we see, was not there and is approaching as it happens, right? And so you kind of have the two primary suspects eliminated in one shot. That's a pretty ballsy move. I mean, it works because I didn't, I didn't see the twist coming at all. Yeah, good diversion when I read it. And then, but it also, I like... It puts you back to square one for the investigation. It does, mm-hmm. but they're cute about it. Because all, what we were talking about earlier where it's the shot of Alberto's face where it's just his glasses and his nose. Yeah. And it's always in scenes where other characters who you think are more important are talking. And just those scenes show you really that he is more important than you think. Because they do that multiple times. But then his fake death totally, like you say, eliminates him from suspicion. Yeah. Mm. Which is kind of funny, too, because it can be nothing but intention. But so you draw a uh, zoomed in picture of like dude's face and forehead. And that leads me to believe a thing. It's really weird. Like, it's weird how well it works, because I don't have a ton of reasons to like even suspect a person. But the fact that you're showing me something leads me to believe that there's more to it and then just have it go away instantly. You know, like there's, there's not really a reason for me to even think a thing like that's as simple as like, uh, I'm pointing a camera in one direction for a shot, uh, focusing on two people and they're talking. And then I, I pan it to the left and I look at a bird, but you guys are still talking. It doesn't make the bird important. It has nothing to do with anything, but it's just like a cool image trick. But it does make the bird important. I mean, that's the whole, if you're a good storyteller, there's always a reason for what you're doing. Either oh. if it's something like that, yeah, let me tell you yeah, about yeah. stories. Yeah, either it's, <laughs> a, either, well, it, it's, a, it's a, like it's a hint or a misdirect. Exactly, yeah, it's one or the other, because yep. you really, if you're a bad writer, then you just waste people's time. But if you're a good writer, 
We're I just love birds. <laughs> yeah, like, I just, I'm, I'm getting uninterested in my own story, so here's a bird. Here's <laughs> so just just a, a marble. <laughs> you know, and I don't think evolution could be real, because how could something so complicated <laughs> not be created? <laughs> look at the, the feathers, and it, it stands, and it flies. It's got a little pokey beak. That's insane. I just like uh, these kinds of mysteries, whether maybe it's like watching True Detective or something like that, right? You start to wonder as you're going through it, and they give you all these setups and misdirects, and when they go cold, you start to think like, all right, either these guys are fucking masterminds, right? And they have thought out every detail ahead of time, or there's this little part of me that suspects they have no fucking clue who's it going to be in the end either. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. starting to like, oh man, did, where the fuck is this going? You know, and you get all these characters turning on each other, you know, like Joker's unleashed after everybody. You get Falcone telling fucking Maroney he better watch his back because now, well, none of you guys have any blood on their hands. Like, what's going on here? You know, like, the whole thing is just turned everyone on each other. And you, as the reader, are just left to like, well, do they even know how the fuck this is going to end? Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure at the time this must have been the biggest fandom speculation, you know, endless conversations all day long. Like, was this a monthly series for a year? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Just in addition to regular Batman or was this, did this replace regular Batman? I know it was 13 issues. Let me see if they're actually Batman numbers. Cause it'll say like collects, uh, no, I, I think these were like magazine format standalones. That's funny because if that is the case, one of my gripes is like the detective comics recap at the beginning of everything. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, of, to catch like you up on. Issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Previously if, on The Long yeah. Halloween. Yeah, I'm like, I know, man. I've been, I know who this, shut up. <laughs> like, I don't need a new <laughs> intro every time. Yeah, this is, uh, it says originally published in single magazine form as Batman the Long Halloween 1 through 13. Uh, wait. It must just be like an ode to uh, detective stuff or to like noir film or something and the recapping where you are and what you're dealing with. Well, yeah, but I mean, a lot you of know, these. Of your life goes by and you're not necessarily going to go reread the last issue, so you want a little primer. I yeah. gotta remind myself who I am and <laughs> what I've been doing I'm for the last month. Reading a story, okay. I thought, I thought that maybe it was a part of like a normal run, mm-hmm. and so they were thinking like, well, maybe the person missed the first issue or the first couple issues, and they could hop into the third one, and here's your little intro blurb, and maybe yeah. you would feel compelled to get the, the ones you missed. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. And part of the recaps, I think, is because... Every issue kind of centers on a new character in the beginning of it, right? You know, and so if you're just walking to this series and you see this awesome cover art and you're like, "Wow, what's this? I'm gonna check it out," you know, you could be jumping off in such a weird place with these and with a character that wasn't even necessarily in the forefront of the last issue, if at all. Like when Riddler is introduced, he is trying to find the origin of the killer, right? And then it cuts to the next page and Batman is having the same conversation and you believe they're having the same conversation in the same room and then you go a little further and you realize, oh, these are just parallel moments in time where, you know, they're each 
doing this investigation on their own, trying to figure this shit out like everybody else, you know? So, like, I thought that was just such a clever way to start that book. I mean, I feel like you feel what he feels as this goes on, like, frustrated. Yeah. More things are happening, but you're not gaining any ground into the the real story. Yeah. And it's a long time, too, if we're reading a year plus worth of time in a setting. But if you're thinking about a person's life and how frustrating it would be to be like a, attempting to address a single case that, you know, continues to evolve and get more frustrating because more people die, uh, you know, like how fucking <laughs> annoying would that be? And you're like a weirdo, crazy guy who made an oath to his dead parents that he was going to stop <laughs> all crime by yeah. himself. There's always that foundation. Or again, just as the reader, as this drags out for a fucking year, <laughs> you're yeah. like, God oh, damn it! You mean yeah, Alberto's yeah, the, dead? The more intro blobs I have to read, the more I wish that I <laughs> that this comic would end. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Also worth noting, this is still millionaire Bruce Wayne. Yeah. So does he not become a billionaire until Batman Begins? Is that the introduction of him as a billionaire? I don't know. What about Batman Beyond? Was he a billionaire then? But wouldn't Batman? I mean, he would have uh, to be, but I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Batman Beyond would be past that anyways. True. Yeah, he he'd be a trillionaire by then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Batman is the Illuminati running this country into the ground. Yeah. We got a uh, Maroney's Inside Man with Harvey Dent, uh, Vernon. I I like he's sort of an Alberto where he tries to. Um, leverage his way into the conversation and just can't can't get heard and then we sort yeah. of see that he is you know being used all along um yes yeah, i felt like he might be a thing the way that they play this the whole time is like uh, almost everybody has a potential mo to be this person even unibrow guy and lowly glasses man like all could be this killer did you guys see knives out yeah, yeah I did. another great just like who the fuck? Everyone in this fucking room, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't want to watch the Halloween as like a Guy Ritchie edit film. Uh, but that is how that feels, though, where everybody seems to have some reason. And you don't really know what to think until the very end. Well, supposedly the Batman with Pattinson is supposed to be more closely based on this story. but That's cool. I mean, because we already know who's cast, so I mean, we've got Riddler and Catwoman and all these characters that we're seeing in this story. So they might do a little more of a recreation of it. Who are those two characters played by? Uh, Paul Dano is Riddler, and Zoe Kravitz is Catwoman. You didn't know that's this? Cool. Yeah, that's cool. No, I think I've heard that because when you said it, it stood out my mind. Yeah, and uh, isn't like Colin Farrell the Penguin or something? Or somebody really I, I think that's true. unusual. Yeah, yeah. What about Solomon Grundy? Um, he's played by yeah, <laughs> Matt Damon. Matt <laughs> <Solomon> Damon. <Grundy. laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> that's great. Uh, Born on a Monday. I like the. What if he's one of those guys that says Monday? That'd be annoying. Yeah. Um, that's a possible choice. Well, it rhymes. It rhymes more, anyways. Because he's saying it all the time, so it's already annoying. But it'd be extra annoying, I think, if he pronounced it Monday. Yeah. I bet he says Warsh too. <laughs> Who? 
Solomon Grundy. Oh, I think uh, which actor would Ben Affleck also be saying more? I just uh, think that's what the character. How the character <laughs> would I'm really just trying to get into it. You know? I like. We've got this scene where Bruce is arrested. This is on the heels of Ivy manipulating him, right? So he reverses his decision on the Falcon imports. You know, Catwoman kind of has to intervene and stop Ivy. But while he is hallucinating on the... Uh, oh. oh! Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit after this, actually. I was actually. just going to say that this panel is, like, disgusting to me. It's the, so grotesque. The yeah, Ivy on the like chest. I do not... I don't want plants on the inside of my clothes. I don't want them in my sleeves. Yeah. Because you know, like, this is, like, bright colors, and it's not super graphic, but, yeah, just um, the way it's portrayed, imagining it, it's like they're in his body and kind of, like, entwined in him, and it's... <laughs> I read it more as like a it's sort of wrapped around him you know sort of like her vines often like grab things and and pull them whatever so it's sort of like encapsulated in it but Catwoman destroys it to free him from the control yeah which to me implies some amount of like it's in him too Maybe not. It's not like in his orifices or something. This is pee hole. Like, no, yeah, it's like but like digging uh, into his skin and kind of. Yeah, the the roots the roots are like into his skin a bit or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just uh, another. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Well, and I was mixed up. So it's actually a little bit after that when um, Bruce is arrested. It's actually after Scarecrow gives him the fear toxin, right? And so in that moment, he is hallucinating and actually remembers this sort of again like repressed memory of his dad doing this middle of the night surgery in the living room on Carmine Falcone I thought that that was a cool scene because it sort of uh again enriches the history a little bit makes you wonder what are his motivations you know Alfred has to testify about this you know and saying well his family has ties, like, explain it, you know? And he's like, dude, he would have done that for anyone. He did not take payment. This is just the person he was. Someone knocked on his door, needed help. He's going to do it. I liked uh, that scene, too, because then in Batman Begins, he seems to be more of a doctor than he ever was a really rich person. And in Batman Begins, he's like, "Mm, I don't know. I was at the hospital. I'm working. Uh, yeah, you know. inherited money, and he chose to do something completely different. Yeah, exactly. Life. Like, that's not where his heart's at, and that's how compassionate he is. So a random thug dude comes in and needs his life saved, then done deal. You know, like, that's his motivation. That's who he is. I really like the parallels. It's another thing kind of that Batman Begin draws on with the whole running theme of the movie is, why do we fall so we can get back up again? Yeah. Within this, with that scene showing him being a skilled surgeon and how that plays into his life. And then later, when Batman breaks into Falcone's office and all the all the goons are there, he takes out Solomon Grundy first, and then he goes through, and he's relating how yes. he's drawing that from his father, talking about in a surgical situation where it's like, when it's extreme oh. stress and you have multiple problems and you need to address them immediately. He says, remove the, da- the most dangerous elements first. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, and it's almost irrational. But you just hit it, and you just do it, and you go at it immediately. And that idea that even though his father is not a, like a martial artist superhero, he still drew something really important from him yeah. to deal with this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. We also talked about that in one of the last couple episodes where we were just talking about like 
practical self-defense and street fighting and stuff in general too where we were talking about like addressing the most pertinent thing first and you know hitting people where it counts because i'm, I'm not trying to stick around in this fight you know in, in addressing um i'm like <laughs> just hurting people as much as possible as quickly got, as possible. you gotta hurt another guy right after yeah this. because yeah. yeah i'm just i'm swarmed with dudes and i just my schedule like, is just packed off. full today yeah, I'm just absolutely swamped, guys. I hardly have time. For this. I don't even get to take lunch, man. <laughs> yeah. Another great subtle little hint they give you is there's the Father's Day killing, right? And on the ground, there's the tie box. And the mm-hmm. very next thing you see is Carmine opening a Father's Day present from Sophia that's a tie box. And you've had this he or she this whole fucking time, right? And we know Carla's out of the picture. And so this is like the only prominent female character on that side of the law. And so now you got that in your fucking head. I don't know. Did, did you guys think the same thing? Yeah, they, they did multiple things to... I mean, not necessarily that, but the whole time that's what was kind of in my head. Either, like either you got... Falcone and his sister, but that doesn't seem to be a thing because they always seem to be like mini beefing. But you have her daughter who seems his daughter who seems very eager to prove her place in their family and organization all the time. And then um, the tie ended up being kind of a symbol. Wasn't there one other? Weren't there like two tie exchanges after that? I thought somebody else also. Gave somebody else oh, I think to. Gordon got one when he got back to the house in yeah, the middle okay. of the night. Yeah, 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 yeah. Evan, was this your first time reading the story? It was. Okay. Because oh, I was thinking I can't answer that question because I read this so many years ago. I don't remember. All I think of it now is like I know the story, so I don't have any yeah. memories. So that's why I was kind of interested in your take on that. Being this, I mean, how did the the structure of like this person did it? No, this person didn't. How did all those reveals hit you? Did they work? Were you? I mean, I I didn't remember any of that shit. I didn't remember who it was. Yeah, I mean, it only ever really floated between the people who who made the most sense anyways. Like, in my mind, Calendar Man wasn't an option, even though he was always there, but it seemed to kind of get tossed around sometime because of his, like, obsession with dates or something. But, like, no, you keep visiting that dude in the cell. That He's not a part of it. Sometimes I wondered if it was Falcone himself doing all the dirt, you know, like... That's not usually how it gets. You work your way up to the top so that you don't have to do that kind of stuff. But you also possibly came from the background of like a killer also. So maybe he was handling stuff himself the whole time or his daughter or maybe his son. But that seemed to be negated when his son was killed or Harv. It was like kind of between the... Well, and I also suspected whatever like glasses, uh, dense assistant guy. Vernon. Yeah, not that I really had like any reason to really think that, but that he just kind of popped up and I was like, oh. Well, and then he ends up being the plant for the acid, which is really significant. Yeah. And like, well, this dude seems like he could be into something. Or Maroney at times also. Like these two head guys, maybe like this, maybe this is just them really getting at each other. But what we're seeing is sort of everything that happens underneath it, like all the people reacting to the things that the two guys at the top are doing to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never thought that it would be dense wife though. That wasn't like, even, even with the he, she stuff, it, that was, that was like only pointing to Falcone and his daughter 
to me. Yeah, uh, same I never, here. I never thought that it would be dense wife. Well, it's just partially her. Yes. Yeah. She killed some. She's probably the last one. Yeah. It was like, she killed the ones that it would be most likely that Harvey would have killed. Yeah. yeah. And then she, she even did it because, so we know Alberto, I mean, to jump ahead, wasn't killed on the boat. And the whole reason she started doing it was because she thought, she was convinced that he killed Alberto on the boat because his hair was wet. Yeah. Yeah. Tag team. The ultimate tag team. It's like an Earth One predecessor, kind of. Yeah, I mean, what a fucking twist. I mean, well, there's a lot of connected tissues. Let's back up a little bit. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, go back. So, after the acid in the courtroom, right? Is this Two-Face's intro story? Or did he have stuff before this that showed the same thing? Yeah, I mean, Two-Face... Oh, he's been around a long time. the 60s or 70s. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, this is like the modern Two-Face story. There's episodes okay. on the animated series that are before this. Um, so after the acid, Gordon finds the gun from evidence at his house and is starting to put this stuff together. This is when Dent escapes from the hospital, right? So again, like the Dark Knight, (laughs) after his injury, he disappears. We have Carla then ruled out again for good as she is going through the coroner's office, because we know the coroner was killed. We don't know why. It was sort of an aside. It was the only one that didn't make any sense, the only civilian casualty. And that place blows up as she's going through there, right? Or does she get shot? I forget. I think she gets shot. Yeah, but she dies very quickly just going through the coroner's office. And so we definitely know it wasn't her for sure now. We have... Moroni being moved between jails, right? This is like in The Dark Knight when they take on that underground tunnel thing we were talking about, you know. To the transfer. Yeah, Dent getting moved around. So somehow Alberto gets in there and shoots the motherfucker, and then Batman pulls off the fucking helmet and reveals himself. Again, Uh sort of like what they did there. It's like they merged two different... You know, twists into one thing, I guess, uh, for the, yeah, the for the of, film. Uh, yeah, really interesting though. And then as Dent kind of busts out the Rogues Gallery, and we didn't talk about too Maroni's father being one of the hits. True. Yeah. I mean, because I think that's one that kind of pulls suspicion away from him. Well, I mean, there was that uh, bloodbath where just his whole the whole restaurant full of people gets taken yeah, out. Yeah. So I mean, oh, we know yeah, yeah. we knew that he wasn't the dude at that point. Because that was right after that conversation with, uh, well, I guess we didn't know for sure because Falcone sort of implies that, like, he might be coming for him next if Holiday doesn't. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I guess it's sort of up in the air. But but so when Falcone gets killed, uh, as Sophia's there, Catwoman sees this chance to mirror the year one moment of, like, I'm going to scratch that face. Uh, and so then and I think this is great because if it's been years but if I remember right she's a prominent figure in Dark Victory and so again having that that scratch on the head of the family carry over I just like that and then uh, falls out the window there's the great panel in um, in the courtroom scene right after I think it's right after Harvey's been hit in the face with the acid the panel is him facing the left with just a white background. And then underneath that is a panel that's dark black with 
Carmine Falcone in Shadow, but the Scar, Scar is eliminated. Mm-hmm. And they're, it's kind of like they're facing each other from top and bottom. I love some of that stuff that can only be done through artwork and animation. You know, yeah. Batman himself is a great example in that everything will be shadows except the eyes or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. So often in, in film, you get these awesome shots like Keaton where he has the pronounced eyebrows on the cowl and you see everything but the eyes. I really like where, that too. Where the light is coming from above his head. Yeah, or, I, lo- uh-huh. I love that and that's sort of the, the live action answer to it. But some of those little details that are in a book like this um, are, are just fucking great. Like you'll see nothing... Everything's shadows except for like Alberto's eyes, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that is really, really cool that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, how, could, how could you even make that happen? I don't remember if I've said it before and I probably have, but that's never stopped me from repeating myself. So I think one of the, the real, other than like its ability to be abstract and do crazy things, the real difference with comics versus uh, probably regular books or even movies is the ability to show multiple points of time at the same time. Movies can kind of get there doing split screen, but it doesn't quite have the same effect as like three or four panels showing different places or different times yeah. that your eye takes in all of them at once. Yeah, or like a quick edit to show this location, this location or something, mm-hmm. whereas if you're on a single page or between two pages, you can actually kind of process it simultaneously. Yeah, they all exist at the same time. Uh-huh. So then the gut punch here of the twist, we see Dent, um, you know, fucking shit up. He's on the warpath. We've accepted. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, Alberto was taking the rap for it, but now it looks like it was actually Dent. He's the one killing Falcone and everything. Like, all right. And then he takes out Vernon because obviously he would have a full face otherwise out for this fucking guy. And then just in the epilogue, basically, do we get the reveal as Gilda is packing up the house. She's like burning evidence in the last fucking few things. And kind of just we get this closing monologue. They don't let you dwell on it. They just give you a taste and the fucking book closes. I mean, man. Jeff Loeb. Jesus Christ. I mean, this this is the dude who wrote Hush. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is just his, his fucking signature. It was like, who done it? Who done it? Big fucking twist. Wow. Other big twist. Bye. Like, fuck you. What the hell? So good. I just put in all capital letters. My last note is Gilda packs up the new house, burns the evidence that all caps, she was fucking holiday. You know, like, th- there's that great scene where Batman is in Dent's basement talking to her. And. Uh-huh. He's like, what are these gun shavings on the workbench? Yeah, he's defending himself to her. Yeah. That's a good panel, too, where she's coming down the stairs and he's, like, hidden in shadow behind, like, a furnace. Yeah. You're a fucking creep, man. (laughs) Get out of my basement. I love it. I got a bunch of Easter eggs. What do you guys got? I really like the multiple shots. So you see the close-up shots of whoever Holiday is working on the gun. Yeah. And then you get the first shot of Harvey with a vice, like a stationary vice in his workshop. Yep. So, oh, but then at least, I think maybe two other times, you see other people with, like, in a workshop with yes. a vice in the background, too, just to be like, in case you thought that was a, a 
giveaway. Mm. It's not because here are, here are all these other people with their vices. Yeah, everyone's got an old-fashioned garage workshop. <laughs> yeah, with tools on the wall. Everybody. There was this one that I liked in the courtroom where I love, one, I love the show. Oh. It's a Where's Waldo where it's like there's so much life and so much stuff going on. Yeah. But you, people would notice a guy dressed like the Unabomber in the very back. Yeah. He's like six foot four and gigantic and has a beanie and sunglasses and a goatee. Like That guy would stand out, I think. That's funny. I was going to, as I was reading it, I was going to text you guys a picture of that, but it was only as I saw it for the first time. I'm just, I'm looking at this guy on the back and I'm like, either this guy's a thing or he was just being funny, like putting the shadiest person in this <laughs> courtroom possible, you know, only to, to go a couple pages and be like, okay, it's Bruce. I don't, he looks, he looks shady anyways. I don't know why he would be allowed in there. I don't think uh, I even noticed that. Disguises. No, not at all. But I was thinking like how I just thought that he was sneaking it in as an image. This is another one I really like because to me it felt like a nod to Dark Knight. No one the, could uh, see this. Explain to them. No, you guys can see it, though. I don't care about the listeners. Who are they? No, so it's a shot of early on in the story of Batman chasing Catwoman across the roofs, and it's Batman doing the iconic pose of one hand out, like in a full crouch position, and one hand down pointing, and he's all in shadow. And it just felt like a total nod to uh, Frank Knight, the cover of Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, totally. Yeah, his jump pose looks similar to uh, the Dark Knight cover. That one is dope, too, just the three slim vertical rectangles you know the last one ending in this just like really dynamic looking um, neon signs and brick walls then the color palette between all three of them i like the reaching for the tail <laughs> yeah 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 that's where i'm gonna snag her by i don't think i have any uh i mean i could now that i've read this in year one and seen some of the movies i like making all those connections but i don't I can't think of like its own Easter eggs, really. Yeah, I, I love how tied together these are. And yeah, in the beginning, when Alberto catches Bruce listening into Falcone's office after he left, he makes some joke about how he was looking for the bathroom and he had too much champagne. Right? This is exactly what Bruce does in Batman versus Superman when he's at Lex, Lex Luthor's library event thing and he's downstairs luther's assistant catches him and he's like looking around he puts drunk face on he's by all those computers and he's like uh that last martini was too too many you know she's like bathrooms are upstairs motherfucker but like it plays out just the same um that's uh, to me that's just kind of like a movie cliche like that investigate a place and somebody catches you oh where's the bathroom well yeah but he was literally caught spying on the person at their thing using the drinking and the i don't know it's it's practically verbatim you're giving them too much credit no no yeah you're right snyder's never read a comic book my bad nope that movie is nothing but references what are you talking about <laughs> uh all right so i believe in harvey dent obviously willie two times that's a goodfellas thing because you had uh i think it's johnny two times in goodfellas where he's like i'm gonna get the papers get the papers the Godfather Tomato Garden, where he says, you can act like a man, you know. Another Goodfellas is, Vernon, go get a shoe shine. You know, that's, that's the, the G-rated, go get your fucking shine box. Um, another, this one is uh, uh, Pacino Godfather, 
never asked me to explain my business. Obviously, Maroney's trial, which we'll get in on the Dark Knight episode, but I thought that that was so cool that the way they set it up, you think you know, oh shit, it's the Two-Face part, and then they don't do it. That was awesome, but... um. I was waiting for Batman to jump out in costume, <laughs> full costume, <laughs> and, allow, and allow somebody to be shot. <laughs> I wasn't sure yeah. if that was a, a reference to uh, Batman Forever or a reference to um, a death in the family. Yeah, in the, the, in the UN. Yeah, yeah. Because both of them had a, a diving Batman in court, I think. Uh, well, yeah, that's where, that's, that's where Batman sacrifices a civilian. Yeah. yeah. I didn't kill him. I just Don't ducked. Yeah. He just wasn't as fast as I am. Pros? The colors. And these colors are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's pretty much like story colors to me. I put artwork, moody colors, noir detective vibes, first page of every issue, and great red herrings throughout. I do like the visual callbacks with the starts of all the issues with largely just like the single panels. I think the revisited imagery of when people get killed, it's like a six panel, but it usually gets, it's like black and white and gray with a splash of color. Every one of those like assassination pages is kind of the same. Like visually the action plays out in the same way. Yeah. It's very sort of minimalist calling card scene of the crime afterward every time yeah snapshots of like all the action yeah i like that a lot because again you can't how do you show it without giving it away so yeah and those parts also feel a little more detective story and kind of sin city-esque also with just their splashes of colors you know the only red is the blood or whatever yeah i really was gonna say the sin city i really like the vibe yeah i don't know it's so like old-fashioned it's like 50s you know, detective movie or something. I don't know. I also liked um, Chapter 7 is the one that has Riddler as the cover art, but it's just, it's more like art. It's more like pop art where it's just silhouettes and the his suit is comprised of the question marks, but there's no, like, definition to any of the shapes. It's just, like, yellow, green, black, white. It's very cool looking. Anything else in prose? Yeah, actually, in addition to the art stuff. I don't think there's any sound effects in the entire thing. Mm. So it's just all dialogue or all narration and all art. There's no blam blams. There's no wumps, bams, anything like that. It's definitely a, uh, which, a more grown-up version of a Batman story. Yeah, which is cool. Like, it leaves it some of it to the imagination. I know what these things are supposed to sound like. You don't clutter up the artwork. You just let the pages be what they're going to be. And I also liked... In Chapter 7, too, I think that's where the Riddler comes around in the first place, that he only kind of helps make all your suspicions worse by (laughs) he's brought in to help solve a puzzle. But at the same time, he only just presents a bunch of scenarios in which all these different people could be a suspect. And so it... It, it doesn't help anything, and it actually makes it kind of worse. Cause I'll take my well, yeah. Then I, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, well, I just don't know what to think. They're like, man, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, Sophia, squeeze his head until blood comes out of his nose. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> cons? I don't know that I have any distinct cons to... I mean, nothing really stands out. Yeah, really, the only thing I had was the 
drilling home the pronouns thing over and over again. I mean, that's so minor. I have a few. <laughs> they're, not, they're not crazy. Two parts of the same thing. I honestly don't love sales artwork. I think that it's awesome. It's very unique. And it makes me feel like I could draw comics. Because, <laughs> because it's more like style-driven. I don't think that it's the most skilled anything, but it's like Picasso was awesome because it was unique, but not because he was the best painter. That's how I feel about this dude stuff. It's cool, but it doesn't hold a candle to some other people's stuff. You know, we uh, talked about this in Murphy's style a little bit in that he had like the Beavis effect going when someone would like this character would look awesome to the whole story. And then later they would like turn their head a different way. And you'd be like, what? That's what they look like, you know? And, uh, I feel similarly about this. Like, I really love the style, but again, like when you see Batman's whole face sometimes, or Joker's extra long teeth, there's a couple of stylistic choices. That'll be like, what? Um, when everything else is so fucking awesome. So in, in my head, I don't even think of those things. But yeah, occasionally as I was reading it, there would be little parts of like, oh man, this character looks way cooler than than that one, you know. There's parts of it for sure where he still has a grasp on anatomy and Batman's muscles look cool in his own way. The city and the scenery look awesome. Just a lot of the character art. And again, there's something to be said for having style and being identifiable and just fuck it, just doing it and what kind of thing you can create if you allow yourself to create anyways is professional because I guess it's professional, but it honestly doesn't seem on that same level. It's just a very, it's a loose style. It's very loose. And it's like, inconsistent. Not necessarily yeah. unintentionally, but it's inconsistent. Yeah, it's, it's like very thin lines, very squiggly stuff. It doesn't, you know, we're talking about the animated series and, you know, Sam, you're talking about that piece of art you got or whatever. And they were talking about the confidence in the lines, like, this guy's confidence is derived from not caring so much and just being like, just accepting stuff for what it is versus the kind of lines that come from somebody with like a confident hand who just makes these like long, solid strokes or whatever. Well, you had a similar critique on Capullo in that you said his penciling was so all over the place that an inker could really make any kind of interpretation of it. True. But I think that Sale inks his own stuff, though. Yes. And tied into the same thing, I don't like how Bruce looks. He just never looks like a legit dude to me. Every Everybody that I can buy, but I don't really love the way that he looks. He kind of has a Capullo face to me, like the way Capullo drew just the lower half of Batman's face, where it's just a little line right across the middle. Uh-huh. But like a very big like meathead. And, you know, part of, I mean, obviously, you guys, if you look at the Joker pages, I bet there's no two panels where his teeth look the same. Well, that would be such a nightmare. But it wouldn't, I mean, you could just embrace the randomness that you, you know, you come up with a design and then you you repeat the design. All he's Uh doing is embracing the looseness and the randomness of Uh it. And so, therefore, there's not a lot of consistency from picture to picture. And here you're trying to create a world where, these people are all identifiable because they, you know, Falcone scratches, you know, I, I, it's, it's close enough. I can tell what you're shooting for with all this stuff, but picture to picture, there's not a ton of consistency in that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, also, 
<laughs> it, it doesn't have anything to do with that, but somewhere between Falcone, Maroni, and the repetitious... Bologna, yeah, yeah. I was like, ah. You have, you have, like, the repetitious word bubbles that were... They're, <laughs> they're attempting to drive something home to me, but I found that it actually did the opposite of what they intended. I think that what they were doing is, like, trying to really instill something in my brain, but it was just a ton of, like... Falcone, Maroni, Falcone, Maroni, over and over, and it actually made me more confused. It didn't help me at all. And some of the word blobs were just verbatim on them. Like, on Mother's Day, Jonathan Crane, psychologist, turned psychopath, and they would just quote that same blob multiple times. It was a little odd to me. You know, a detail that I forgot to mention that I liked is in the beginning... I think his name is Johnny Vitti, the nephew or whatever who was getting married. Carlo Vitti's son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was barely in year one in that sauna. It was right before Falcone gets his face scratched because that happens on the steps. Inside the building, Johnny was the big meathead with the, you know, bowl cut and the awkward little part there. And so, like, you take a character who had, like, I don't know, two lines or something and his wedding is the catalyst for this whole story i thought was just again shows a a reverence for the source material and why these guys were allowed to take something that was so kind of sacred 10 years later and go can we be the ones to dig in on this because i think i know where to take it you know yeah just all those little details one of those where it's easy in hindsight to look at it and go like, yeah, you read year one and then you read Long Halloween and then, as if they were made one after the other and they were the only things where, yeah, it really is like there's a fair amount of space between there and it could have been fucked up. Yeah. It could have just been like, it could have been a thing where they say, yeah, but you don't read Long Halloween because it's just weird and did weird stuff. And yep. we just kind of ignore that. I like the foreword also where the guy's talking about how it wasn't like Jeff started this whole idea some other editor some other yeah. guy was like hey like have you guys ever thought about doing this stuff because i would like to see your guys's version of this follow-up story yeah i love that that they were kind of pushed in the right direction the whole time mm-hmm. and even the name yeah that's super awesome like i will be content to have my con- contribution be that i got the ball rolling on this and put the idea in your head and i gave it its title the end <laughs> Batman, a year's worth of holidays. <laughs> and that's how they remember it always. Trifecta. <laughs> Trifecta, is there anything on the uh, detective category we didn't touch? No, I mean, this, this whole story is a detective story, and he's definitely, and this is like old-fashioned detective work. He's not really using yeah. the back computer all that much or gadgets and gizmos and stuff. He's just trying to solve a mystery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Granted, he takes a long fucking time, but I still rank it high. <laughs> and he yeah. solves it by just being there at one of the murders. What if I'm just there? That would fix it. Yeah, I've just got to be around. i got to go to more parties. Ninja? It doesn't seem very ninja-esque in action, only that the art, because of how, how black all of it is, he really dwells in the shadows, and that does make him, the like the basement scene or... I mean, anything, put him up against a wall and behind an object, he's like hardly in the picture. It's so many silhouettes and stuff that the image is like a ninja 
but you also do get the feeling that he, he looks ripped and he's strong enough to tear the bars off a jail cell. And he also does whoop ass a couple times. So it's, it's well, yeah, but it's also skills. that he has the ability to come and go and be untraceable. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he did that to Dent and Gordon. He did that in Dent's house. I mean, that same scene you're talking about, not only is he just like down there in the shadows, but I mean, he can just kind of pop in and out when he wants what if Batman was having a day and he was trying to dip out on, like, Gordon, but he had Taco Bell and he, like, tooted on the way out? I thought you were going to say, like, he stubbed his toe or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, if it was this comic, there wouldn't be sound effects anyway, so yes, maybe he, he did. And we, yeah, we just yeah. wouldn't even know. Well, no, because Gordon will have a panel where he's making this, like, stanky face. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, Bruce? When you mentioned the surgery approach, you know, using Thomas Wayne's methods in the fight that was what i put in my ninja notes yeah this is more of a mystery story than it is an action story but there are a few scenes like that that remind you that he's batman and why he's special among people that are violent yeah trauma mm-hmm. mainly in the hallucination the, the, the uh, toxin driven hallucination i quoted a line where he says i just miss him alfred you know mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. it was after the hearing where they were digging all that stuff up again it doesn't seem to motivate a lot, I don't think. His obsession is a big part of the story, but they're not, like, reminding you of the parents' deaths all the time. Yeah, not related to their murders. There was a line early-ish in the story where he was kind of cornered by Gordon of, like, look, I'll work with you on this, but you got to play the rules, okay? You know, and he kind of strong-arms him a little bit into this agreement. And... The inner monologue, he's saying, I swore an oath to my parents to, you know... Fix the city or whatever. Yeah, at any cost. He says, and yet, you know, we have to make compromises or whatever. And so I thought that that was interesting, that it's always in the back of his mind when he has to do something that might be contrary to his original plan but it does align with his goal, and so he has to adapt. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that shot in the uh, jail corridor when he's, and I threw it up on the screen a minute ago, when he's, you only see it from basically his, like, slightly below his jaw to the top of his head, and it's Batman's face and profile and Gordon's behind him, and his teeth are fully bared and clenched, and you just imagine his, like, his hands are around Alberto's neck, and, like, he wants to kill him. Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say that. That's one of those moments where the frustration of that whole year and, not solving the murders and more people getting murdered, he is like, he is ready to kill him. Mm-hmm. Even though that's not what he does and he said he would play by the rules, like he was ready to do it and he held back. And then later, with Harvey in the same situation, just shoots Carmine in the head. Yeah. Two-Face also looks really gross in this, a lot because of his artwork is pretty simple, but also like pretty squiggly and gross at the same time. So his the way his face looks is yucky. I love this Two-Face. Yeah, everything about it and again I also like that Dent's a huge part of the story but it is more of a Dent story than a Two-Face story mm-hmm. you know again just as year one was more of a Gordon story these books are kind of getting at like the heart of the city you know who has the I mean that's in Dark Knight too you know it's like no we needed our White Knight mm-hmm which is cool, too, as a creator, because you 
create a universe and then you find that you could actually dive into any of one of those people if you wanted to. Yeah. You know, this is Batman, but you don't have to talk Batman all the time. You know, talk about Dent, talk about Gordon. They're all interesting and they all have backstories and they all have motives. And then somebody takes this like meticulously crafted character that you made and you you really delved into their psychology and then they turn him into a kitty man. Yeah, now he's a giggler and he's a... (laughs) clear no i mean kitty like a cat it turned him into a cat i'm so confused in the ninja turtles oh (laughs) (laughs) he becomes full grown with the ooze the ooze man well well, yeah i mean i used to call devo kitty man and i was so confused as what are you saying like oh my god yeah but that's true though i mean you create a whole thing and obviously um give miller batman and that doesn't tear down Batman in a single instance, but you could totally pass it to somebody who just screws the pooch. So. Ratings? Four. It's a four and a half for me. I would have given it a five, but listening to Evan's criticisms of the art, and I really like the art, and I think it's great, but I mean, that's fair. And I think it, it gives a little bit of fatigue in reading it because of the, those issues that you brought up with the artwork. It's minor. It's still excellent. Yeah, and the story itself is incredible too. It it could have been something a little bit more. I think had the drawing, I think just skill level been on the same level as the writing, but the drawing is cool and the story itself is awesome and so awesome that the art doesn't pull it down with it. I don't think. I'm open to the art being the way it is, not as a lack of skill. I'm open to it just being that's his style. And it doesn't completely land for me. Yeah, yeah, de- that's what I think. It's definitely stuff. I am gonna stick with the five. Sure. You know, anything there is, you know, so minor to me. I think it's just a gripping story. I love the look, the feel of it. It's a nod not only to you know one of the best stories ever, but also just some of my favorite films. It just works for me on every level. I think this is a rare collaborative moment where it's just like an all-star crew yeah, I, my uh, my opinion of it might be like dulled a little bit too having read this so many times mm. and even though like I've read year one many times and I give that a five I don't want to be like a jerk critic just kind of a critical it's a, critic it's a little late it's a little late <laughs> Shut up. because obviously this came to be a thing for a reason and Tim paired up with Jeff for a reason and if Jeff thinks that Tim does a good job, then I should also think that Tim does a good job because whatever he sees, I should see also because there's something to it. Well, what I see is you backpedaling. <laughs> Shut up. I'm just trying to be nice. <laughs> whatever. This is Robin. Thanks for checking out the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warman. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate every one of you who's helping spread the word, leaving comments, liking our posts, taking a little screenshot of the podcast and just let people know that we're out there. We really appreciate that. We are still a small show and a relatively new one. Had a fun time on this episode. Lost a little bit, though, at the end. We were talking about Tim's work on the TV show Heroes on NBC back in the day and how uh, when I watched that show at the time, I was really excited to see his name on it. Being a fan of this book... We will be back to review Dark Victory, but first, 
Of course, we have to follow up our Batman Begins review. We're going to switch back to film and talk about The Dark Knight. 